Hello, and thank you for tuning into Mum Talk, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, now a toddler, and our new addition, Elwood, born this May. If you are new here on this podcast, I share my journey as a mum from pregnancy to life with a baby, toddler, and now as a mum of two, sharing all the highs and all the lows. Not only am I joined by incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. As always, you can trust in Mum Talk to be honest, real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments. Wherever you may be, thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation. If you have listened from the very beginning of Mum Talk, you will know it was love at first sight when I met the products created by the midwives at My Expert Midwife. When pregnant with Amandine and Elwood, not a day went by where I didn't use my favourite product, Fantastic Skin Elastic. I feel incredibly honoured to be working with My Expert Midwife, a brand that has truly supported me physically through both of my pregnancies. Recovery after childbirth can be challenging, both emotionally and physically. My Expert Midwife have created a recovery duo designed to soothe bruising, swelling and soreness of the perineum after birth. This includes Spritz for Bits, which provides instant relief to the perineum. You will have heard me raving about this after my first pregnancy, plus the new Soak for Bits, a must-have to add to those first few baths after your baby is born to aid recovery and soothe aching muscles. I could go on and on and rave about every single product I have tried. I know how important it is to have confidence and trust that what you are putting on your skin is 100% safe for pregnancy and baby. For me, using My Expert Midwife products gave me that trust and confidence. My Expert Midwife not only develop incredible products, they provide midwife expertise for pregnancy, birth and becoming a new mum. To find out more on how to prepare and recover from childbirth, visit My Expert Midwife at www.myexpertmidwife.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk Series 10, Episode 9. And this week I have a brilliant guest joining me, Harriet Crouch, who is a parent consultant and we are talking all about toddler behavior it's a long one but it's a great one we answer all of your questions and cover so many topics which I know those of us with toddlers are really struggling with at the moment so have a listen enjoy I'll catch you at the end so how old are your two so Fred is two and a half. What is he in months? Thirty months? Thirty-one months? Oh gosh, I'm um, not dear in months. <laughs> um, and Margot has just turned nine months. So there's just under twenty-two months between them, um, which is interesting on some days. <laughs> I bet. Um, but also, I feel like Fred doesn't remember life without her because he was mm. so tiny when I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. um but um yeah so he is two and a half and going through the whole two and a half year old emotions right um and Margot's nine months and very much trying to get up and about and miss independent so yeah what about your two how because Amandine must be nearly three now is she yeah she's three what next week fourth of oh. September oh my I goodness know. so I, I can't believe it to your podcast when you were pregnant with her because really? I was pregnant with Fred um, so he was born in January and I remember listening <gasps> to your like 
updates about your routine and what you were doing and I was like right must remember <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so brilliant I you know what I listen back this sounds really weird but I listen back to my own podcast with Elwood's thinking what did I do I don't yeah. even remember yeah. what I did um but yeah and Elwood is what Elwood is 13 weeks 13 weeks tomorrow oh how was he with all his jabs well he's only had one lot so yeah because the doctor's surgery unfortunately made a mistake and in my postnatal blur I didn't think to check it I couldn't remember where they were so they booked him in for his eight week jabs at 12 weeks and so he's only just I know I don't know why so I didn't have my postnatal check until 12 weeks and I remember getting to eight weeks and thinking I'm sure it was earlier than this anyway it's fine whatever but now he's going to be having obviously his 12-week jabs I had to fight for it but in four weeks time so yeah yeah but he I mean how was he with his jabs as expected I guess cried a lot but actually settled much much quicker than Amandine ever did yeah I I found that with Margot and I find like a lot of things I'm like oh she deals with that so much better than Fred but then I also think is that just me dealing with it yeah. better? Because I know that it's not the end of the world, you know? Yeah. I think so, definitely. We, we yeah. know that they'll get over it. Whereas when it's first time around, you're thinking, are they ever going to stop crying? Yeah. But poor Elwood. I mean, he was, Amaldine had a cold or a virus um, and she gave it to Elwood about two days before his jabs. But he wasn't running a temperature. So the doctor was like, no, we still need to go ahead with the jabs, especially because they're so late. And I was like, OK, fine. But then he got so much worse. I just think we completely overloaded his immune system, bless him. And he got so much worse. And in the end, I don't know if you've listened to any of the latest podcasts, but we had to call an ambulance for him. And it was just really stressful. Um, Thankfully, he didn't have to go into hospital, but he just had a really bad coughing fit. And it was just oh what a period of time that you just need to zoom through and try not to remember. (laughs) Oh, bless. But everyone's all healthy and good now. Everyone is healthy and good now. We are all back to normal. Tired, but healthy and good. (laughs) Always tired. (laughs) Always tired. But I feel like these poor kids are getting hit by virus after virus, aren't they? Because they just haven't, they haven't been out and socialising and mixing and building their immune systems. I had really hoped that Margot, because Fred continued to go to nursery when she was born, um just to give me a bit of a, a break um he came back with so many bugs she's had a cold since day one um and I had really hoped that that would have kind of really boosted her immune system but I think actually I run the nursery that they both come to oh, really? um, and actually I think the bugs haven't um they completely subsided when everyone was in lockdown because of course children weren't going anywhere to get bugs and then they were coming in and everyone was rigorously washing hands. And now we've kind of all relaxed stuff and everybody's going out and they're all mingling. Now we're getting all the bugs back in. So Margot had bronchiolitis oh. know, last week or the week before. So we were up in A&E. Um, and of course, everybody's like, oh, we can't see anyone until she's had a COVID test. And so they've all had millions of COVID tests. Then they had sickness and diarrhoea going around at nursery. So it oh, has gosh. just been constant yeah but um I think we're over it now 
fingers crossed. Fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. Oh my goodness, yeah. Amandine doesn't go to nursery yet, and uh, in a way, it's great because she doesn't pick up any bugs, or oh, it's very rare she gets a cold. But I do know that the minute she starts going, it's just going to be endless. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it's one of those things, isn't it? Every parent's got to go through it. I do worry about chickenpox though, because it's so much better if they get it around this age, isn't it, than later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has Fred had chicken pox yet? No, we've had a few suspected, oh, is it, isn't it? And then nothing's happened. Right. Um, so I'm pretty certain he hasn't. Um, but yeah, and what's he, two and a half? But I think my niece has got it around two and a half, three and a half. Mm. Um, yeah, but again, that hasn't been in nurseries since no. the pandemic. We used to get big kind of cases of things coming around all at once and again that hasn't arrived in the last two years because nobody's gone anywhere to mingle with anyone to get it no so yeah we'll probably get that next <laughs> I keep waiting for someone to say they've got chickenpox and I'll be like yes I'm coming over with Aldine I want her to get it I want her to get it I mean I don't know when it's good for baby I mean I obviously don't want Amaldine to give it to Elwoods I don't know when it's safe for kind of babies to get it not too young, I suppose. No. Maybe once he's had his jabs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. This is so great. We have been inundated with questions, as you can imagine. Mostly around, well, pretty much all around toddler behaviour. Um, because I figured that was kind of the key theme of what um we should talk about today but if you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, you know what you do and what you provide your service which is just fantastic um then I think we should probably just let our questions lead the session otherwise this could end up being one of my famous two hour long podcasts <laughs> <laughs> okay so um I am Harriet I am mum to Fred and Margot, so Fred is two and a half, Margot is nine months, um, and I have spent um, the last 15 years working in early years, um, and most recently running nurseries, so for the last kind of seven, eight years I've been a nursery manager, um, and when I was pregnant with Fred, I so as a nursery manager you kind of turn into a bit of a counsellor for parents, and you support them with all kinds of behaviours. I've also worked with children with um, additional needs. So as part of my role as a manager, I'll work with the children that have um, autism or speech delays, language delays, those kinds of things. Um, and so I'd often get parents on the phone in tears asking me about X, Y and Z. And when I was pregnant with Fred, I kind of thought, I don't want to go on maternity and just do nothing. Mm -hmm. So um, I opened Mini Explorers Consultancy. And so I work with parents and I also work with nurseries and childminders um, and other settings. And I kind of go in and help do training for their staff and get them ready for offset visits. Um, but the pandemic made me because I couldn't go into settings and do those kind of things. I focus more on parent support and obviously everyone's at home um, and behaviour was through the roof because everybody was bored yeah um, and so yeah the the consultancy work just kind of skyrocketed and I ended up making some parent guides um so that I could support more people so rather than just doing consultations over the phone which can be quite expensive um it was more um kind of guides that are, are more generic so rather than a tailored bespoke 
consultation that, like I said, not everybody can access. Um, I've got a whole bunch of parent guides that um, talk about potty training, life with a newborn, um, tantrums, all everything. Um, but also my Instagram, I share lots of um, free resources and also my life as a mum with an emotional toddler <laughs> and how I deal with it day to day and how I kind of practice what I preach. Um, so yeah, so that's me. Amazing. Well, Amaldine is potty trained and we kind of winged it, which was awesome. But I remember chatting to you very briefly and you telling me that you had those um, resources on your website. So that's that's awesome. I imagine they're so, so useful. Amaldine was very receptive, thank goodness. Otherwise, I would have been at those like a shot. Um, but let's start off because we've had lots of questions about uh, transitioning from obviously one child and bringing in a newborn. So from one to two, from your experience and also from your expertise, how do we try and make this as kind of smooth transition as possible? I think don't overthink it is probably my biggest piece of advice to any parent. Um, but having been a mum that's gone through it when you're pregnant you feel all the emotions and all the guilt for the situation that hasn't even happened yet I remember in the months leading up to Margot arriving I was like well I need to do everything with Fred we need to take him to all these amazing places so that we get to spend loads of time one-to-one because he's not going to get it when she comes and then um and then when she came, she didn't really do anything for a couple of months. <laughs> and you kind of forget, don't you, that I think first time round, they take up so much of your life because they're mm. brand new and you've never had a newborn. I remember never being able to shower or, like, I'd be in the same knickers for a couple of days because I'd be like, I, don't, I can't put him down. I can't do anything. And then when Margot came along, Fred would go off to nursery two mornings a week and I was like, this is amazing. I can just pop her there. I can clean the house. I can have a shower. And so I think, first of all, is to remember that you've done it once. The first time everything was brand new. The second time you've got more confidence. You've got knowledge about what to expect because no book or even having such a long time working in early years and working with families, with children, with newborns. I didn't know what to expect from a mum's point of view and like mm. the hormones and the fourth trimester and all that stuff. Um, so I think firstly, give yourself a bit of credit that you've done it before and you're definitely going to be able to do it. Um, but then in terms of kind of preparing children, I generally say to parents that I'm working with or families that I'm working with that you can't prepare a child until the baby is here yes you can there's lovely books so on my website I've got a resources page to lots of lovely books that we read at nursery that I didn't read with Fred because he was only 15 months so mm. he wasn't going to know what I was talking about but would he if he was kind of two onwards I would have read a couple of books um he was very aware of things coming into the house that we were talking about these are for baby and you know encouraging um helping prepare the nursery or buying things mm. but it's a bit like when you're pregnant first time round you can do all the prep but nothing prepares you until that baby is here um and i think it's the same for children having a sibling um so 
for me, what I always say to parents is it's that first encounter or the first few encounters that are the most important. Um, and what parents often do, so you forget that in pregnancy, everybody kind of, whenever you're about, everybody will, I don't know if you had it with Amandine, but, but certainly with Fred, everyone was like, oh, you're going to be a brother. And, oh, all the and time. Like, what? I don't know. And it's confusing. They don't know. They've heard all these words and they don't quite mm. get it. So what we did um, and what I advised parents is when you bring baby home, um, don't make a big deal out of baby. So I actually put Margot in our, we had a, a snooze shade. Is that what it, a snooze? Mm -hmm. snooze pod, pod thing. thing. Um, so she was in there and I just let him find her. So I didn't point her out. We had a big cuddle because I hadn't seen him for 24 hours. I cried in labour because I missed him so much. How Aww. sad is that? I know. No, that's I lovely. <laughs> Um, but so we had a lovely cuddle we said hello um, and then it took a good five minutes for him to then clock her and he went over to her and I just let him kind of explore her himself sounds like a dog doesn't it like <laughs> <laughs> um, so he went over and um, and I said to him do you want to show her your toys and you know remembering that this is his environment mm. and what people often forget is I think people will often say things like like they introduce the baby as if this is the new thing and this is how you know so exciting you've got a sister whereas I tried to play it that you show her around show her your books and show her your things say hello I'm Fred um, and so it was very much about him um, mm. And we continued that for quite some time. So if I was sat feeding her and not able to give him any interaction, you know, other than verbal interaction, um, I'd, be, I'd be talking to her about him. So I'd, I mean, she's a two day old baby. She's not listening, but she'd be feeding. I'd be saying, wow, look, Margot, look what Fred's made. Wow. And, you know, trying to almost praise him through pretending to talk to her so that all my interactions with her weren't negative. It wasn't mummy's not looking at me because she's so besotted with the new baby it was still all about him mm. and I so that's what I recommend to families that I work with and actually I re I used to recommend that before doing it myself and I could really see the benefit when I did it um of how well he has reacted to her and even now that she's crawling and she's trying to stand and get his toys he's very good at just saying um oh sorry Margot and he'll kind of budge her out the way, but he'll find her something else to play with. And Aww. I think that's all come from not feeling like she's taking over. Mm. Um, it's very much still, you know, this was his environment first and he's showing her around and teaching her about it rather than kind of move over. Someone else is here. Does that make sense? Completely. I mean, I get really worried when I'm feeding Elwood and I'm not particularly good with articulating in a specific way to make Amandine feel that she's not kind of being pushed aside. So, and also normally when he needs feeding, he's probably at the crying point because I've been juggling something else and he's yeah, going yeah. to the boob a bit too late. But I, I'm always so conscious of, and I do say, you know, oh, I'm sorry, Amandine, mummy's just feeding Elwood. But then I know you're not really meant to apologise because, you know, you're nurturing them, but... How do, how, did, how do you manage that? Or what, what is the so, advised way so to do I that? Usually, I try not to make it um, a negative thing. If I'm mm -hmm. feeding, I don't want Fred to think, oh, 
mummy, which is why the don't apologise thing is because you don't want your your eldest child to think, mm. oh, mum's feeding, so that's a negative thing. Whereas I will just say, so I do lots of praise, I'll watch him. Or if mm. I say, I can't come now, but I'm watching you. Um, and then I'll talk about what he's doing. Or when he, um, when I was pregnant, actually, we made up a special Fred box and he nice. helped make it um, with some calm activities in. So like we had threading, um, stickers, puzzles, drawing, that kind of stuff. Um, so that when I was feeding, I'd say to him, oh, I need to feed Margot, go get your box. And so it, it wasn't a negative association. It was, oh, yay. I get something too because it's Margot's time to feed and it's my time to do this. Um, so but how did you how did you take the stuff off him when you were done feeding? Um, so we, with Fred, we've always done lots of warnings. So we have a sand timer. Um, we occasionally use my timer kind of on my iPhone, but he's very visual, so I'll use the sand timer. Um, but I think because he's probably used to a warning, I don't mm -hmm. remember ever using a sand timer with him, but I'd kind of go, oh, Margot's finished now, box away, let's carry on doing whatever we were doing five minutes before. Um, and that worked really well for us. Or even, I think, second time round, if you are breastfeeding, because um, that's all I have experience of, that's what I did with both of them, um, I definitely found second time round um, easier feeding Margot because I had kind of, like, I didn't need to sit on the sofa in a certain position I could just sit on the floor and keep playing trains with him or if he was painting, I'd just carry, you know. Yeah. Um, so second time around, I definitely found that easier. Um, but I definitely, for anybody that's kind of worried about looking as if you're giving the other child more time, um, because there's there's lots of times when a newborn just wants to be close to you and just wants to be held. Um, and Fred finds that difficult now if Margot, like I said to you earlier, when she's unwell, um, mm. he's the cuddly one. She's misindependent and he really struggles if she needs just to, to be held by me. And he'll often say, um, Daddy, take Margot now. Um, and obviously, Daddy's not there all the time. So I try to just make a conscious effort of giving him lots of snippets of one to one time where I. And, even, and I'll say to Margot when he's there, oh, Margot, I'm just playing with Fred. And then I do the same with them too. So if I'm playing with Margot, I'll say, Fred, I'm just playing with Margot at the moment so that they start to learn because he, he doesn't know that she doesn't understand what I'm saying. He just is hearing that I'm using the same language. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's they're kind of some of my tips of how to manage too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I've been trying to do that with Amandine. Like if she... Hits El at the beginning, she was really quite rough with Elwood. Um, and luckily, he's a big baby, so I feel like he can take it. But, I mean, she still is actually quite rough with him. But I felt like I was always saying to her, be careful, he's fragile. Like, don't hit him. Don't stick your finger in his eye. Don't lie your full body weight on him. Don't crush his legs. I mean, endless. But now that he's got, you know, um, he's being way more... I don't know, he's flinging his arms and legs around a lot more. And occasionally he'll kind of obviously accidentally whack her in the face with an arm or something. So I've been trying to say, oh, Elwood, be careful where your hands are going. Don't hit your sister. Just so Amandine hears me saying the yeah. same language to him. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because I, I was really conscious that I really felt like every time I was speaking to her, it was something negative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just rephrasing that can be a really great way of, because a lot of it, like I certainly found with Fred, he didn't mean to be rough with Margot. He's just 10 times bigger than her and wants to play. So the first time when we first brought her home, he she was in the sleepyhead or whatever it was called and um he brought over some books but he got in with her <laughs> and we were like oh um I don't know if you're both fit um and he then wanted to play boats so he was oh. trying to get her to play with him and it was so lovely but also she was only five pounds something so she was diddy and he was seemed huge compared in comparison um and just trying to ch- and it was really hard and often I would go be careful be careful but I tried to be mindful of saying things like, oh, instead, why don't you hold her hand? Or she mm. loves it when you do this. Um, because he really wanted to grab her and like he tries to get her out of her car seat all the time. <laughs> and it's lovely. But I just, instead of saying, my husband will often go, sorry, my friend, be careful. And then Fred like runs off because he thinks he's been told off. Whereas I tried to just say, oh, let me help you because she's so heavy. Because mm. um, I I want to encourage it, but also I don't want to put her in danger. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's just having, it's having, I find often that I don't have that headspace to yeah. quickly think. And in the moment you just think, ah! Yeah, because I mean, Amandine the other day tried to help to put him in the bath. But I mean, like she was grabbing him from right underneath his tummy and I was just like and in the moment <laughs> I was like oh in yeah <laughs> exactly in the moment I was like oh my goodness Aldi no no darling let me do it and then I was backtracking and I was like it's okay help me take his foot let's see if we can put him in the bath together <laughs> and I was like backtracking away from my immediate panic of, don't snap <laughs> your brother do you know, what's a really good tip if you do find yourself reacting really quickly is acknowledging that as well so by saying something like once she's put him in the bath or you've stepped in and helped then say oh Amandine I'm so sorry for for shouting or saying whatever I said um I was just really worried because I said I saw him nearly topple in the bath or you know or I could see how heavy he was for you um so backtracking and say I you know I didn't mean to shout I just felt that I needed to do that in that moment because what we want to teach children is that if they shout it's okay because they can feel a array of emotions just like we do but then also to know that it's okay to apologize for that and to mm-hmm. be in the wrong um, and it's so that's really important to role model that you've kind of accepted that oh sorry Amandine I shouldn't have shouted at you then I was just a bit I got a bit worried or Actually, a perfect example, when we took Fred, um, nothing to do with siblings, but we took Fred to um, a park that had lots of water. And my immediate reaction was, oh, my God, don't do that. Um, And I shouted to keep him back. And then it scared him. And when I went over, I said, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to shout. I just got really scared. Um, And I said to him, because you can't swim, can you? And then all day he was like, I can't swim, mummy. scared. But actually, it's a really great way of teaching them that, it's okay to sometimes shout because mm. it's in the moment, but actually let's address it afterwards. Mm. Um, so that might be a good tip um, for others that feel like they're constantly going, oh my God, 
Mm. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I read a really interesting uh I think it was possibly on Instagram somewhere um really interesting post that said you have to be really careful how often you say things like be careful and 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 kind of put put your what's the word um thoughts into their actions because then they don't start they, they st- their risk assessment doesn't develop their their actual own thinking about what the consequences of what's about to happen doesn't develop as quickly yeah yeah and actually children are natural risk takers so children naturally um they'll take risks but they're also really good at managing them themselves Mm. so i often talk about helicopter parenting and if you (laughs) which is my husband my husband is such a helicopter in a park he'll be right behind fred but the closer you are the more they'll rely on you because they know Oh, if I fall, I can literally see daddy's hand right there. If you stand back a little bit, they're able to risk assess for themselves a bit better. And actually, you find that they then become more confident because you're not being the helicopter around them. Mm. I think that's so true. So with Aldine, I was was saying this um, the other day with Hendrik. I was like, I think we might have skipped the terrible twos, essentially. But then my friend said to me, and this is so true... That, that that she's now a three-nager. <laughs> and oh my goodness, she is such a three-nager right now. And we have had so many questions saying, how do you deal with um, the terrible threes? How do you deal with big meltdowns? It's so much worse than the terrible twos, you know, because they're, they're just finding so much independence at this age, aren't they? And they're really, I think one of my friends said to me that she was telling off her son or, or her daughter, I can't remember which friend it was now, but, um, and their son or daughter said back, actually, mummy, I said no, or I said yes. <laughs> and there's so you much You get into sass. that bickering, yeah. So much sass. How do you even approach that? So um, this, funnily, well, not funnily enough, it's just what every parent is going through. So this is often a topic that I talk about with parents who I do private consultations with. Um, So a lot of my support plans are about tantrums, either two-year-olds or three-year-olds, or even four, five, six-year-olds, because they are more like teenagers. (laughs) Um, But... So the best way to start tackling tantrums or those meltdowns is to build loads of opportunities for independence. Because like you said at the beginning, they are fighting for that independence. And when I talk to parents that I work with, I often talk about how, so when they're newborns, we, and still like Margot, she's nine months, but she's very much the same. I'll kind of scoop her up whenever we're ready to go out or whenever Mm. I'm ready to go out. I plonk her in the car, then I plonk her in the buggy, and then she just comes with me. I obviously don't ask her. She can't talk. She just comes along. And then somewhere over that, over the couple of years, we almost forget that they are growing and developing their own characters and becoming unique people. Um, And we then start to have this um, rebound effect where we're saying, right, come on, it's nine o'clock, we're going to go here, That I, I booked this place, we're going here, we're meeting my friends who I'm forcing you to be friends with, and this is what we're doing, and this is what you're wearing. And there comes a point where they go, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and quite rightly so, because I don't want to, you know, if it was me, I wouldn't want to be told who I'm going to be friends with and where I'm going. So 
in order for them to accept certain boundaries, what we want is to give them loads and loads of opportunities for independence, for choice, for control over their life, uh, or as much as their of their lives as possible, so that when there are things that we do want them to do, yes, we are leaving the house at nine o'clock, thank you very much, get your shoes on, um, that they're more accepting of that. So it can start with, let's take Fred, for, or even actually, let's take Margot, for example. So she's nine months old. So from six months at weaning, um, we've promoted independence by uh, doing baby wet lead weaning, so she'll feed herself. Um, some of that is still spoon feeding. I just leave a spoon for her in front of her. Um, getting her to wash her own hands, so I have a bowl of warm water that she splashes about in. Um, but also, you know, like often parents will go, oh, my child hates having their face wiped, hates having their hands wiped. Get them to do it themselves. They're more than capable. Yes, she makes a bit of a mess, but actually it helps clean the tray because the water goes <laughs> in the um, And then as they get older, so Fred, from about 14, 15 months, was kind of buttering his own toast. Um, he'll pour his own milk in his cereal. I know Amandine helps wow. do Yeah. Um, brushing own teeth, obviously, with parents helping in between. Um, but just really small steps like that, choosing your own top in the morning, having your shoes out. So we've just got a little basket in our hallway with all Fred's shoes in. Margot's will go in when she walks. For him to just have opportunities to be a, a bit more in control mm -hmm. um, so that when those times happen where I'm saying, no, this is what we're doing, it, it it's a bit more accepted because he feels like his independence bucket has kind of filled up. Um, and that's what we would want to do. So by the time they're three, they're dressing themselves. They might have um, like a self-care station kind of in the bathroom with a sink or even Fred's just got a step up to our sink so he can do his own hands and face before bed with a flannel and stuff. Um, using the potty independently. Um, lots of just little things, even like cutting up their own fruit and veg um, for meals or uh, like fussy eating is often the case when it comes to three um oh the, yes the, yeah everything I put in front of Amandine right now it's literally like I don't like that I don't and I'm like yes well you liked it yesterday yeah. why don't you like it today yeah. so what you could do is have like a family serve style so things like um let's say you did a spaghetti bolognese have spaghetti in one bowl the bolognese in the other get some spoons for her to dish up herself because if they feel like they've put it on their own plate and they've chosen mm. it they're more likely to want to eat it so often parents will say oh my child eats loads of stuff at nursery won't eat anything here fred loves a curry at nursery does he eat curries at home <laughs> no he will eat the most obscure stuff at nursery and not at home um, often it's because other children are all eating around mm. them, but also it's often because nurseries will encourage children to serve themselves. Um, right. And admittedly, I don't do it at every meal time for Fred. Um, <laughs> I try my best, but I'm only human. Um, but in an ideal world, you'd have a couple of meals a week where Amandine or or the a toddler would be serving themselves. Um, so that they just feel like they've had a bit of input into what's on that plate. Yeah, I'd never, ever thought of doing that. That's such a good idea. Yeah, such so a good idea. That. 
we get to she chooses whether we eat outside or inside when it's nice and warm weather like it is at the moment um so that's nice but literally the minute I put something in front of her she's just like no no go you may remember Leslie Gilchrist, CEO and Clinical Director of My Expert Midwife, joining me on the podcast in Series 9. Leslie shared an incredible amount of knowledge. The midwives at My Expert Midwife have created some easy checklists and guides to help you through your pregnancy and birth journey. From perineal massage, pain relief, to preparing your hospital bag and prioritising your recovery. They have a fantastic expert advice section on www.myexpertmidwife.com. Do go and have a look. They will most likely answer a lot of those pressing questions that you need expertly covered. We are now so incredibly lucky to have direct access to the wonderful team at My Expert Midwife. This year, they launched antenatal classes, which are 100% midwife-led. If you are pregnant and planning for birth, whether you're a first-time mum or having your second or third baby, these are for you. They are evidence-based, preparing you and your partner for the realities of childbirth, replacing the anxiety of the unknown with the excitement and anticipation, helping you to enjoy the journey. Visit www.myexpertmidwife.com to learn more. Just backtracking a bit, I'm just looking at the questions here. We've got an interesting question about what changes in toddler, almost two years old behaviour to expect with the arrival of a newborn? Um, So I would expect a bit of um, separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's really common. Um, And actually, so a lot of people think of separation anxiety as um, something that comes around with younger babies but actually it can happen at any point um, I mean we still get it as adults um, so that could be a big one when baby comes um, emotions lots of emotions are going on because they can't um, communicate how they are feeling um, because they don't really understand how they're feeling um, you might find that your child lashes out so as part of becoming more emotional they might hit and that might be to you to the baby to others at nursery or uh, in a playground um fred actually became a biter around the time that margot came um and i think that was all the his kind of way of processing Mm. the change and getting out his frustrations um because he almost knows that he can't do it to her Mm. so it's kind of like a um you know a way out for him um, but yeah, all those behaviours would be very normal to see in a in a toddler um, or any age child, to, to be completely honest, um, when a sibling comes. We actually had a question around um, biting mm-hmm. and there's quite a few questions around biting, screaming, hitting, pushbacks, uh, kicking, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, all around two, two and a half, three years old. How do you cope with that? Um, so actually, I, I wrote a post, it was either last night or the night before, about biting, because we've been in a real fate. So when I first had Margot, we had a couple of spells of biting at nursery. Um, and at the time, I was on maternity from that nursery that I ran. Um, and the staff were amazing. And obviously, having been a colleague of theirs they were quite open with me um and so there are a couple of incidences where he'd bitten there so I had actually I copied and pasted my own guide and sent the bit that I wanted them to do 
um, so that they were dealing with it in the same way that I would be at home. Um, but he didn't do it at home. And then, then it stopped and we nipped it in the bud. And then he's moved nurseries. And I got a new job when I went back after Margot. And in the last month, it, we've seen it again. Mm. Um, but the benefit of this nursery is that we've got CCTV. So we can kind of see what's happening before and after. Um, and so we've managed. So what you want to do with any of those behaviours, you want to find out what the trigger is. And so what we found the trigger at Fred's old nursery. So I think the underlying issue was the changes at home mm. and suddenly being back in that. We had a couple of days where we took him out of nursery then we just did like a few a few hours before we built back up to his full half day. And that was when we saw the biting. So we knew that it was going to be something from home. Um, but also it was never done in like a, an aggressive way. It was always done in play. So Fred <sighs> loves dinosaurs. And it was very much he would say, I'm a dinosaur and then pretend to bite you. But actually bite you and when we thought about our play at home a lot of his play with both me and my husband was dinosaurs oh I'm gonna eat you or you know like even you know like you get a crocodile and you go oh I'm gonna eat your toes and all of that language so we just changed that language and it very quickly stopped but the biting at the moment um has come from where he's at that two and a half stage of loads of emotions but not enough language to explain his emotions um that's where the biting's coming from at the moment so the way that we handle it at the moment is that we we're still stern and we're still really clear and we set the boundary that we do not bite we don't tolerate biting but actually I need to show you how to manage those situations and I need to teach you the language to use so I'll give you an example um Monday when we were at nursery he had bitten and we'd looked back on CCTV and he was playing with the train track and a child had come along and walked on the train track mm. and he'd moved the child's legs away and we don't have sound but you can see him saying something then he'd gone to carry on playing and the child had done it again and then he stood up and bit them and so that was obviously him trying to say get off my train track so now how the staff will then deal with it is to go in and say if you don't want her to play on your train track just say please don't play on my train track that's making me angry but we don't bite and always then readdressing so you say your initial reaction is you do not bite then you give them the alternative so this is what you can do this is what you can say and then again a reminder you do not bite so it always it starts and ends with our really clear boundary but in the middle, we want to explain how to deal with it. Um, now, what we don't want to do is use loads and loads of language and commun um, engage with them loads and loads and loads because that can encourage the, um, the biting. So we had a spell at nursery where it seemed to be happening almost every day. And I was like, he never does it here. He never, like, we're out all the time with friends. He doesn't even attempt to bite them. Why is it always here? So I had a bit of a crisis meeting with everyone at work to say, you know, what what is going on? And actually, it transpired that he was getting so much attention for it because <sighs> they, were, they were coming over and they were then. So they'd say we don't bite, but then they'd go into this long chat about this is what we do do. And this is how, you know, and teeth are for this and teeth are for that. And he'd end up getting almost like a lovely bit of one to one. 
for five minutes that I think he probably just wanted. Um, so we've stopped that. And I'm very clear in my guides that we don't want to give loads and loads of uh, kind of acknowledgement of, you know, we don't want to communicate with them too much. What we want to do is be really clear. This is what we don't do. We don't tolerate it. We change our tone of voice so that we, so that they know we're cross about it because this, you know, we don't hit, we don't push, um, we don't bite. Um, and then later on in the day, so I often talk about um, bedtimes being a really good time to talk about behaviour because it's calm. It's the end of the day. So we as parents are often calmer because we know that it's going <laughs> to nearly be done. Um, you know, the shift is nearly over. And actually, it usually is quite a nice relaxing time of the day. So often I'll use bath time or bedtime to kind of say, you know, do you think you were you were really kind today? Did, what did you do that was kind? Or I'll ask him, did you bite at nursery today? And he'll go, yeah. And I'll say, well, why do you think you did that? And so we'll talk about it. Um, and we'll talk about, well, teeth are for biting our food and teeth are for smiling. And we love kisses and, and all the things that make us happy. Um, so that we're not giving it lots of attention in the moment, but we are still addressing it enough if that makes sense um and then also giving lots of praise throughout other times of the day so yes he may have bitten at 9 a.m but actually if he's been lovely the rest of the day let's really praise that every kind of hour or so and that's what we should be doing with all children so not just children that are showing challenging behaviors but all always um kind of reinforcing that positive culture we want them to know that you know, we want to build their self-esteem um, and we want them to have a real positive sense of self. And what mm -hmm. we don't want is is children to always hear, often as mums, when we meet up with our friends, we'll kind of we'll moan a lot and we'll talk about all of that. Oh, yeah, he's been biting again. Or And children are listening to that. And, and I, you know, I know I do it too. I'm sure my friends will listen to this and think, oh, Harriet, shut up. You say this all the time. <laughs> um, but I try to be mindful of, how often I'm saying things with him in earshot and um, mm -hmm. that aren't positive so often I'll talk to my husband like he'll finish work and I'll I'll pretend I'm talking to him but I'm actually almost talking to Fred and I'll be like oh daddy Fred did amazing listening today I was so proud of him at the park you know just little things that will boost him and mm -hmm. um, can go a real long way to kind of tackling those behaviors absolutely and what if you can't if, what if you're really struggling to get through to your child? Like sometimes Amaldine will just, you know, she'll know she's done something wrong, but she won't look you in the eye. She just will not. She doesn't. She just does not want to be talked to. So, what kind of language can you use to try and get through to your toddler? Do you think she might be embarrassed in those situations? Definitely. Yeah. I think she's either embarrassed, and we've got it as a question too, actually, um, language tips for getting through to a toddler, but I think Amandine is definitely embarrassed or she knows she's done something wrong and she's borderline upset about it and, yeah. you know, it'll go one way or the other and if you have a go, she'd probably cry and yeah. she just, she almost wants to, I mean, I know what I'm like. When, when I do something wrong, I just want to retreat into yeah. a corner when I, when yeah. actually you just need to think, oh, no, I need to man up here and just apologise for that. Yeah. Um, so what what would you suggest? Um, I think it depends on the scenario that you're in, but mm. also remembering that apologies don't have to come straight away. 
because if she is feeling embarrassed or upset in that moment, it's about understanding our own children and addressing that and addressing it with her. So if you can see that she's going to end up bursting into tears or if you can see that she's a bit embarrassed about something, leave it a few minutes. And so like today, we went to the park this morning and Fred was him and the little boy they they're really good friends but they were winding each other up all morning each having a go um and then so we kept kind of bringing them back and it was like a constant back and forth and then by the time we left and we were going to go and get in the car I said to Fred um you know when you say bye to him please can you just apologize for not having kind hands no I didn't I said can you say to him next time you see him you'll have sharing hands and so when, so it doesn't always need to be in the moment. It depends. Mm. It completely depends on where you are. If you're out with friends like I was today, we would have, you know, we were together a good few hours. So there's still time to address it because sometimes in the moment isn't always the right time. And if, mm. particularly if it's then caused your child to have a tantrum, what we want is we want them to be able to feel that emotion. So addressing that with. Um, Amandine later and saying to her you know when mummy tried to talk to you earlier you looked really sad or you wouldn't look at me earlier when I was talking about it and addressing that so that she knows that's how I felt because likelihood is she doesn't know what it is to be embarrassed and she does you know she doesn't understand those emotions that she's feeling Mm. Um, so giving time for her to really feel that particularly so if a child is kind of in the middle of a tantrum not trying to step in and fix it or stop Mm. it we need to let children just have their moment step back don't be embarrassed about people looking or you know scrutinizing your parenting whatever you are just letting your child have that moment stand back but be that the calming reassuring kind of place safe place that they need so often I'll just put my hand on Fred's um hand or I'll put my hand on his back so that he knows I'm here but right now I'm just gonna let you have a cry Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and in my head I'm probably like oh my god this is so embarrassing all these parents are looking at me you know we're in the middle of a supermarket or whatever (laughs) Um, but it's really important to let our children feel their emotions and then address them later Mm. Um, so that we're then teaching them so that when they get to three four five they can turn around to us and go actually I feel angry or I feel really sad Um, and actually going back to hitting and biting and those behaviors we also want to address if they're hitting so Fred will sometimes if he doesn't want to do something he'll go like he'll throw his toy I don't want to do that or, or whatever um, which is fine and I just say to him when he's calmed down now you not you need to pick that up we don't throw our toys or I'll say to him if you're angry hit a pillow or I'll often say about the sofa we've got a great big sofa so I'll say hit the sofa if you feel angry hit the sofa as much as you like but you don't hit me mm. um, and again it's just giving them that alternative because it, it you know as adults sometimes I just want to throw something or mm. slam a door um, and I don't want to be told off about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of acknowledging that they have all of these feelings, but also finding a way to let them get it out mm. um, 
if that makes sense. I've gone completely yeah. on, no, it does. on a tangent now, haven't I? No, you haven't. <laughs> Not at all. No, you have. And is that similar for whining? So we've got loads of questions about how to cope with whining and, and uh, moaning. And I mean, Amandine is an absolute queen at doing whining and moaning, um, often followed by thumb sucking. Um, <laughs> but what would you suggest for, you know, trying to just get past or move on from whining and moaning all the time? Um, don't even address it. So as much as it's infuriating you, that is your emotion. And mm. what we don't want to do is reflect our emotions on our children, which we do all the time. And it's really natural. And, you know, everyone will do it because we're all just humans. But what we don't want is to get to the point where we're going, oh, would you just stop now? Or what's wrong? You know, it, because we, what we don't want to do is add fuel to the flock fire. Mm. What we want is to just go, okay, I can't hear that. I'm going to carry on doing all these lovely things that I'm doing. Um, oh, my battery keeps saying it's going, even though it's charging. Oh, no. Is that working? Um, yeah, so what we don't want to do is give it too much attention don't um don't add fuel to the fire let let her feel that emotion if she and often if she's if you're finding that she's thumbs up and afterwards is she whining because she's tired or is she whining because um she uh you know what what is her reason for it what's the 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 underlying cause of it mm. um, and really trying to not, um, I mean, yes, be frustrated about it because you're human. But sometimes I find like with Fred, if I find like, he, if I feel like he's just winding me up a little bit, <laughs> I just need to keep, go and take a breather. And I'll go to the kitchen for five minutes and kind of catch my breath. And that's okay. It's okay to walk away from our children if we feel that we're not serving each other. Mm. Does that make sense? Completely. Absolutely. Completely. Um, what other questions have we got here? Oh, a two-year-old moans a lot unless has the dummy. How do I reduce dummy usage? Any tips there? Um, so I would try to, sorry, I'm going to move so that I can charge my phone. <laughs> um, I would try to keep it to sleep times only. Um, so that you are... What we want, the thing with dummies is, um, I think everybody has a bit of a love-hate relationship with dummies because they're great in the moment, um, but they can often lead to um, language delays or um, rather than a child talking about their feelings, just grabbing the dummy as a soother, um, which is great. And we want children to feel soothed and um, you know, that's why we always recommend comforters and dummies are a great comforter. What I would try to do is make a plan and stick to it if I was going to try reducing the dummy. So I would try to um, limit it to sleep times only or certain times in a day um, and build that as part of your routine. So as with anything like toothbrushing, for example, you would start with brushing in the morning, then you would add in the evening later you might not start suddenly doing it twice a day every day all the time does that make sense so mm. building it into um building it into part of your routine I think would be 
the best way to start dropping it. So having it at specific times and being really clear about that, because actually setting boundaries, it doesn't take long to set a boundary and for children to accept it or, or to change your routine and children to accept it. Mm. Um, it's when we start to um, not be clear and consistent that children then start to rebel because they'll think, oh, well, actually, yesterday I just moaned a little bit more and you gave in and gave it to me. So, mm. um, Or even using a sticker chart. Sticker charts are a great way, um, a great motivator. So like with potty training, um, reducing the dummy, you could use a sticker chart. That would be quite a good way to do it. But then also being mindful of, having some other kind of comfort um, for your child would be really important, I think. Mm, absolutely. Question here, is repeating themselves over and over normal? Mm, yes. So children are, as I guess it depends what kind of um, context this is in, but children um, want to feel heard. And often you'll find with a toddler, they'll repeat themselves because they want to make sure that you have heard it. Um, but that I, that's a tricky question, because I don't know what mm. kind of context that, that would be in. Mm. And if somebody was concerned, what area would, of that would they be concerned about? So if, if they are concerned, who would you recommend they speak to? Um, if they go to nursery, have a conversation with nursery. If you've got a health visitor still, go to your health visitor. But um, essentially, a child repeating themselves wouldn't be a concern um if a child is developing a stam a stammer stamina stammer am i saying the right word you know when I you say a word and it doesn't sound right a stutter let's a say stutter um, <laughs> uh, again that is really normal um mm. in toddlers um but if you wanted to get it checked out or observed by a specialist then you can contact your health visitor to do that so that question's a bit tricky because Mm. I don't quite understand the context, but essentially, if a child's just repeating um, a phrase, for example, um, I would assume that that is perfectly normal. Yeah. We have another around language, actually. My 23 month old doesn't say any words yet and gets very frustrated. What's the best way to deal with that? So I would um, I would contact the health visitor um, or if they're, again, if they're at nursery, go through nursery, because um, what we would want is the child, we'd want to see that the child is babbling, um, and communication comes in lots of different formats, so it's not just through speech. Is the child able to take you to what they want? Are they able to point? Are they using sign? Um, there's lots of other ways that children will communicate with us that aren't verbal. Um, but if you were concerned, kind of comparing to peers in terms of how much they're babbling and how much they're trying to say, mm. um, then I would contact the health visitor because um, there's lots of community speech and language therapists um, that can jump on and help. There's loads on Instagram as well, actually, that put out so much free, amazing free um, information about what to expect at different ages. So um, it would definitely be worth looking into um, if you find that your child is not communicating in any way, so not taking you to things, not pointing, perhaps not babbling, then I would look into it a little bit more. Mm. Four-year-old 
in July, starting school in September. He says he's excited, but he's so emotional and has nightmares and night bedwetting. He's so young for his year. How can I help him? Oh, bless him. I know. Oh, that's sad. Um, so often when we talk about um, or when children are getting ready to go to school, we often talk about big school and, um, you know, it, it in a child's head they don't really know and particularly now because of covid they probably haven't been to the school to look around there's lots of restrictions in place i don't know about where you live but certainly where we are there's not the usual kind of teacher visits at nursery that we would normally have teachers aren't doing home visits like they normally would have um and all children are hearing about is big school and you're going to be so grown up and it Mm. can be really daunting because they don't know what that means um and so for a child to be really emotional at this point is very normal to be waking up with night terrors and nightmares and things is very normal again um i would use that relaxing calming bedtime to talk about those worries mm-hmm. um so you can buy worry monsters and worry dolls um there's oh wow yeah and they're they're I think they're Chinese or something, but the little worry dolls, they're teeny tiny little dolls. They're very cute and they they come in like a little purse, but you tell them your worries at bedtime and you put them under your pillow. Um, And again, but all it really is, is an opportunity for that communication at at a nice relaxing time for your child to get everything out that they might be feeling. Um, And and then hopefully once once he's actually started, that he will be fine and there will be such a change in his behavior it's purely coming from a place of lots of talk it's a bit like that adding a sibling in isn't it there's lots Mm. and lots of talk about stuff but you don't really know what it is until it happens Um, Mm. so I think the best way to do that is to talk about it talk about what to expect get some worry dolls or just talk about his worries before bed so that he's going to bed feeling calmer um, and perhaps a bit less anxious and also not making a big deal out of the bedwetting um, because that is something that's really common and actually that's something I didn't say about the um, changes in behaviour for siblings um, uh, what's the word going backwards in kind of potty training regression yes like that is really common or sleep regressions are really common when there's changes like that at home mm. What to do or say when baby wants to play with toddler's favourite toy? Okay, so this is where we want to... So it's really important to acknowledge that children don't have to share all of their toys. Because, for example, I don't share my phone. I don't share my car. There are certain things that would be absurd for us as adults to share. (laughs) You know, if someone just came up to me and took my phone, I wouldn't go, oh, okay, I'll have it back in five minutes. Um, So we have to acknowledge that some things will be favourites. So what I always encourage with siblings is to have a box of toys each. So these are your favourites. These are your favourites. These are not And then you have your sharing toys. Mm -hmm. Now, you can do that with your children but make it very clear that kind of only between five and 10 toys go in the box, not all the toys, Mm. Um, because there still has to be a number of sharing toys. But so essentially if they are playing 
So like if Fred is playing with a toy and Margot comes to take it out of his hand, I'll say, no, no, Margot, look, Fred's playing with it. Um, I'll either say to Fred, can you find her something else? Or I'll do the whole five more minutes and then we'll get the sand timer out and we'll pretend to share. And then by the time Margot gets it, she doesn't want it. Of course she no. doesn't. But, um, really role modelling that um, and turn taking and talking about your turn, my turn, but praising it. So it's not a negative. It's not a, that's my turn now, or you need to give that to her now. It's a real positive. Okay, we're going to count to 10 and then she can have a turn. And then when you count to 10, you can have a turn and, you know, playing it like that, but being really positive, but also acknowledging that you don't have to share absolutely everything. Mm, absolutely. How to cope when your toddler goes from meltdown to... I think this is mum or dad. It's N slash D. So I'm just going to assume that means mum or dad. And husband has COVID. So I guess she's asking how to cope when the toddler wants to go to the dad and he's got COVID, so can't. Oh, that's really hard, isn't it? Um, I guess it's a bit like the situation that we kind of had when my husband started working from home. But, and Fred had never had daddy working at home and all of a sudden he couldn't just walk into the bedroom and see him because often he'd be in, a, in the middle of a Zoom meeting and Fred would appear. Um, and just sticking to your boundary and just sympathising. I know you really want to see daddy. I know you miss daddy, but daddy's poorly. Or like with our scenario, I just had to keep reminding him, daddy's working. You'll see daddy later. Um, I wonder whether if, if daddy is having to isolate in the house, whether they can, um, whether the child's old enough to kind of pass messages or, you know, um, like I'll often say to Fred, why don't we make daddy something for when he finishes or um, mm. you know, when daddy finishes work, we can tell him about X, Y, Z. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would try and kind of encourage it that way, but very, just be really clear about, mm. you know, I sympathize with you, but this is unfortunately the scenario. How can you teach perseverance? Gives up very quickly learning. So learning tasks are long. Mm -hmm. So perseverance is a character, characteristic. <laughs> it's a trait. Um, some people have it, some people don't. And that's fine. Um, you know, every child is unique. How you could try to encourage perseverance would be to really praise um when they do persevere and then achieve and make a big thing of you did that amazing because I know like often Fred will for example this evening he was cutting the um the green bits off of his own strawberries but he got a bit stuck on a, a couple of them so he'll go mummy it's your turn and try and pretend that he's like sharing um but it's because he just doesn't want to, to persevere and do it himself so saying to him I saw you do that one you did that one so well you're so good at this and um, you know really boosting their confidence because often mm. if children try and they fail at something it's quite disheartening um, mm. so the, the same way that we would be encouraged to persevere have somebody cheerleading them on um, but also acknowledging that it's okay if they are just like that and if that's their their character mm. I think we touched on this a lot earlier but how to get around saying no to everything mm -hmm. so I have a post on this actually um 
and I talk about it in one of my guides about how to say no effectively. So when we think about saying no, we want to make sure, or when we're just when we're setting boundaries in general, we want to make sure that we're setting boundaries because we really have to and it's unsafe and we're not just saying no for no sake. So for example, you might find yourself saying no in a day and thinking, actually, if I said yes to this, what's the worst that could happen? Is there a reason that I need to say no? Because sometimes we'll say no and then we backtrack mm. because that it might have caused a meltdown. And then we backtrack and go, oh, no, 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 it's okay. And then that means that our no isn't as strong because our children know that, well, when mummy says no, she often backtracks and doesn't say it. So making sure that when we are saying no, it's because it's either unsafe or it's going to affect a boundary kind of in the long run. Mm. Um, yeah, that's kind of my best my best no. And what about when the toddler is saying no to everything? <laughs> um, a lot of the time, I think ignore it because toddlers, when they learn the no phase is because they've learned that something that they say has an effect on what then happens mm. and so often they'll say no not because they mean no just because they know that something's <laughs> going to be different if that makes mm. sense and mm-hmm. um, so a lot of the time uh the the best way to deal with it is when you're giving choices so things like or, or when you're not giving choices so when you're leaving a park or when you're going out for the day instead of saying things like are you ready shall we go home and I hear it all the time when I'm in the park with Fred I always hear mums and dads going right shall we go home now now no toddler is ever going to be in a park having the time of their life and going yeah yeah let's go home let's go home and have my nap of course we will so don't don't give them the option to Mm. say by saying shall we your child thinks I've got a choice they say no and then we go yeah come on we're going and it completely ruins that whole independence choice thing so when we've when we're setting boundaries like that or we've got a routine that we want to stick to we need to be really clear in five minutes we're going to go home and we're going to do xyz Mm. Um, and and sticking to that and when we're giving five minute warnings or any time frames we need to stick to those time frames because what children end up doing is thinking that five minutes is actually half an hour Mm. or sometimes five minutes is about 30 seconds and then all of a sudden we're gone so um being really mindful of when we're giving a a time scale on things we're sticking to it um we're not offering things that aren't an option um but we're then given lots and lots of opportunities for choice and independence at other times so that when we say things like that, it's not the end of the world. Mm. Can you prevent tantrums before they start or tantrum-type behaviour before they start? Yes, definitely. So all of those things about um, giving choice, giving giving your child freedom will essentially and and that's the same for everybody you know if we lived in a life where we were constantly being told like if you're at a job and your boss is com- constantly on top of you you've got to do this you've got to do that da, 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 
you would leave your job because mm. you would be unhappy. And so for a toddler, that's almost kind of the, the mind frame we've got to think about. And so by giving them lots of freedom and choice and control over their lives, we are preventing a whole lot of tantrums that are going to come. Mm. Um, but then also by saying things really clearly. So like Fred will know if I say to him, right, in five minutes, we're leaving. He knows that in five minutes, we're leaving. He doesn't think, actually, if I kick and scream, mummy lets me stay longer because I try my best to stick to my boundaries. Mm. Now, I'm human. I don't always. Sometimes I think, oh, do you know what? I'm here for an easy life. Do what you like. <laughs> but m the majority of the time, because I know that in the long term, it's going to serve us all uh, a better outcome. Um, I try to stick to those. So, yes, you can definitely prevent tantrums you can't prevent all tantrums because they're a completely natural part of toddler development and mm. they're a, it's a huge milestone in toddlers development it, it's a really good indicator that they have started to build a sense of self they're starting to understand um their world around them they're starting to understand that they have a voice um, their communication is coming along so there's loads and loads of stuff going on in their heads when we talk about tantrums mm. um and so no you're never going to stop all of them but you certainly can help reduce them and then also the length of time that they're lasting so fred will have a couple of tantrums every now and again and they don't last that long um i mean don't get me wrong some days he'll have lots of them but again they don't last that long mm. um, and he's quite quick to just get over it mm. um, but he's also starting to talk about his feelings much more, um, which is because of how we've dealt with the tantrums previously. Um, and so that's what you want. How you deal with them um, will essentially uh, kind of be why be how they um, why they reduce long term. So how we deal with them now at two, two and a half will mean how they are when they're three, four, five. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would you recommend time outs? This is just backtracking a bit to, to mm -hmm. kind of kicking and hitting and biting. Would you recommend time outs? No. So I am really against kind of sitting on naughty steps, having time away. Um, for older children, I do like to encourage. So if you've got a kind of four, five, six-year-old, um, the, the teenagers the four nagers um getting them a space at home so particularly if they're the older sibling and they've got a younger sibling that's trying to get all their toys and mm. just being a bit annoying um giving them their own space and in their bedroom is often a nice place to do that so um having a few toys upstairs for example um giving them a quiet space to go if you can see that there's, say, for example, my nieces, they bicker all day, every day. Sometimes they're best of friends. Sometimes they'll bicker. Um, and what I suggested to my sister was to say to my eldest niece, if you're finding her really frustrating, why don't you play upstairs for a little bit? And so it's not a get to your room, stop being horrible mm. to your sister. It's a, I can see that you're getting really frustrated because she's trying to get all your toys. Why don't you take that? that toy upstairs and play um so in that sense of time out yes i think it's great but not in a kind of negative you need to sit on a step i don't think that works 
Mm, no. Harriet. Yes. That's been amazing. I think we've <laughs> I think we've answered all the questions. I'm just double checking, but I'm pretty sure with the breadth of everything that we've spoken about has covered. I'm a bit of a talker, so I every, wouldn't. No, <laughs> everything that you've said today has been. I've been able to relate with a hundred percent, and I've taken so much from this chat. So if I've taken so much with this chat, I. The listeners, everyone listening is going to take a lot from this chat as well. So thank you so, so, so much for coming on and sharing with us all of your knowledge. I really appreciate it. So where can everybody find your guides and if they want to contact you to speak more specifically about an issue that they're having or to work through something with their child? Yeah, so the best place would be on Instagram. Um, so I am Harriet underscore mini explorers or no it's not that's a lie it's Harriet <laughs> underscore mini underscore explorers um and there's a link to my website in my bio um I'm also on Facebook under mini explorers consultancy um and I share loads of free tips basically everything that we've talked about I've got posts on um and in my highlights they're full of kind of free stuff of what I what I chat about because I love childcare and I love child development and I love behavior topics so I'm constantly and anything that Fred does or even Margot does I'm constantly um over analyzing so my stories <laughs> are often me going why has he done that what's this um so yeah you might find lots of tips on there if people come and follow me so that's the best place well amazing thank you so much Harriet thank for giving you for us your time you. Thank you. I found that so incredibly helpful. I hope you did too. So many of your questions were really, really relevant to where we're at with Amandine at the moment. And just knowing how to deal with some of these situations in a preferable way without absolutely flipping our lids is really uh, helpful. So thank you once again to Harriet for joining me and going through all of those topics and behavioral developments. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will catch up with you next week for the final episode of series 10. We will be speaking to one of the top midwives from My Expert Midwife. I will catch you then. If you have a minute, please do review and rate the podcast. It really does help other mums to find the podcast and join in our community. Have a great rest of your week. Bye. Even the second time round, I didn't really know what to pack in my hospital bag. I knew what not to pack, but there is always a worry that you will have forgotten something you yearn after in labour. Luckily for us, the midwives at My Expert Midwife have curated a hospital bag set with all their essentials, including the brilliant Spritz for Bits, which I can personally recommend. It certainly saved my delicate parts post-birth. Soak for Bits, No Harm, Nipple Balm, Spritz for Labour and labour rollable designed to help calm and focus as our little gift to you my expert midwife have kindly given me an exclusive code to share with you for 10% discount across all products head to www.myexpertmidwife.com and use mumtalk10 at checkout and get that hospital bag packed don't forget to get your birth partner to pack it for you so they know where everything is i made that error first time round